Welcome to Restoring Memory, a COVID calls exploration of the first two COVID years. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters. And since March 16, 2020, I've been the host of COVID Calls, a daily discussion of the pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. This is episode number 487, March 16, 2022, an interview with the COVID Calls team. We're going to jump right into the conversation, and I want to introduce everyone to you. Eleanor Mays is completing a Master of Design at the University of California, Berkeley. She's interested in accessibility, sustainability, and fostering equity within design and engineering. She manages the transcription of COVID calls and assists with the rollout of the COVID calls archive and website. Shivani Patel is a third-year undergraduate student at Drexel University studying finance and economics with a minor in Philadelphia studies. For the past two years, she's been working at COVID Calls as a production assistant, helping with scheduling guests and keeping the calendar organized. And Bucky Stanton is a PhD candidate in the Department of Science and Technology Studies at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. His dissertation, Arcadian Pasts and Futures, investigates natural and cultural resource extraction in the central Peloponnese, exploring the history and politics of archaeology energy and modernity in Greece. Well, uh, Bucky, Shivani, Eleanor, welcome to COVID Calls. Welcome back to COVID Calls. Shivani, I think I made an error in introducing you there. What's your minor? It In, in philosophy. Okay. It says uh, Philadelphia here, and I, maybe in, I, in my mind, I, I transpose philosophy and Philadelphia, which is, a, no. that's appropriate. That's my mistake. I accidentally typed that. It's philosophy. I'm so sorry. I think we should take, no, I think we should take that back. And anytime somebody says, what's your philosophy of life? What's your Philadelphia of life? I think it works. Yeah, you're right. Let's start, um, Shivani, let me start with you, actually, since we're chatting. Um, tell us where, we know you're in Philly, but tell us a little bit about the COVID situation there, as far as you know it. Yeah. Um, so right now, in, no, Everybody is like not wearing like the mask mandates and things have gone down. When you go on the subway, when you go to restaurants, even uh, at Drexel University, um, the we are only required to wear masks in a classroom setting. Like if I'm in the residence hall or any common space, no, nobody's required to wear a mask. So um, the COVID like transmission and everything is is definitely reduced compared to what we saw two months ago back. When, in January, when Omicron was really spiked. Bucky, where are you? I, I'm in Athens, Greece right now, uh, you know, doing a mix of, of, of research and writing and uh, remote working and, and hanging out. Uh, and, and the situation here, COVID-wise, I'm by no means no expert in Greece, but there's, there's not many, I think it's best to review the, you know, the stats quickly. There's been like two or th I think two to 2.5 million cases. There's been like 26,000 deaths overall. Uh, and the country's faced a lot of difficulties, like a lot of places uh, because of COVID. And there wasn't really a robust government response here, uh, like in America in a lot of ways. Uh, different though, and it's interesting, I have to always explain if I go out somewhere when I show off my, you know, my American uh, COVID vaccine card because they have like this government app and I have to explain in my like broken shitty Greek that that I don't have a QR code like I'm sorry we don't we don't have a unified system um, but in terms of like mask wearing uh, you go on the street and it's definitely much better percentage or mask hygiene than America you know there's still elderly people uh, wearing masks just like when they walk around uh, there's still people wearing masks and and you have to wear masks if you go inside I'm pretty sure there's still a mandate. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the general situation in, in Athens. And do you have a sense of kind of the urban rural divide there? Because you don't do your research usually in Athens, do you? Well, I do, I do my research related to like the power, the power company here, which is uh, related to the resource extraction in Arcadia, Greece, where I, my field site is. And, and there it's definitely uh, different. It's, it's so much more sparse in population that, uh, the mask mandate is is definitely not the mask mandate. The mask hygiene is definitely lower, especially because it's a big outdoor space. I mean, it's Arcadia. It's where we get the adjective Arcadian for some sort of like pastoral, bucolic, harmonious, beautiful place. Uh, but 
still inside there, at least last time I was there, you've got to put a mask on if you're going to go inside. And it's pretty, pretty, uh, I don't know what the laws are surrounding it, but it's, it's seems to be like you have to, like, there's no getting around. I feel like in America, some places there's this kind of middle, even earlier in the pandemic, there's this kind of period where you could just, you know, it was like kind of up to you. No one was going to stop you. There wasn't going to, it was just kind of like this shame enforced system and, and, I don't think you can do that here in the in the same way. And Eleanor, coming to you, where are you calling from? And same question, how's it looking there? Yeah, so I'm in Berkeley in the Bay Area in California right now. And um, things have been trending largely better since the Omicron spike um, has declined here. Uh, although I do also see a lot of mask wearing um, still going on, even though the state has stopped requiring it uh, for the end of this month and so or has already stopped requiring it uh, on campuses so Berkeley waited a few weeks past the state guidelines to allow people to not wear masks indoors although it's still heavily encouraged um, and what I've seen is that it tends to be uh, in graduate classes everyone's still wearing their masks and practices pretty good mask hygiene and then in more of the undergrad classes, there's people who choose not to wear it, although not all of them. So there is some hope that people are still following uh, mask wearing indoors. Um, and public transit has been great here in terms of mask wearing and really has been um, the entire time I've been here so since the summer. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see. It'll be very interesting to see. Um, a lot of businesses still have signs on their doors saying masks required. And so it's, it'll be interesting to see how it trails off in terms of mask usage. Eleanor, let me stay with you for a second. And, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your, your research. Um, I know you all work pretty much COVID calls from sunup to sundown, but you must find some time to do some other work in there somewhere, right? Yeah, so I'm uh, currently, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a, a Master of Design student at, at Berkeley. And so uh, when I'm not doing COVID calls, I uh, am working in, uh, we have a disability lab here on campus. Kara Nakamura runs a, the RADMAD Disability Lab, where we do lots of cool uh, activist and engineering-based projects uh, centering around disability. and as you probably know, Berkeley has a very much established history in terms of disability activism. Um, and what else? I uh, am an ARCUS fellow, which is this uh, social justice core fellowship that I got last year that uh, is through the College of Environmental Design, um, where we focus on issues of social impact and social justice. Um, so a lot of really cool uh really cool uh, activities going on here. But uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm 3D printing something. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks for that. And Shivani, let me ask you the same thing. Um, tell us a little bit about your, um, I guess, you know, at Drexel, you do your studies and you also do co-ops. I mean, it's such an engaged curriculum. What do you do when you're not scheduling guests for COVID calls? Yes, of course. Um, so, other than you know taking my classes um, these past two terms, I've I so at my business school um, there's a group called the Dean Student Advisory Board, and um, it kind of gives us a platform to create initiatives and build on these initiatives to on anything that we're really interested. Some students have started a podcast uh, talking to different professors. Um, recently, I started building this workshop series about um, trying to make access to financial literacy knowledge more accessible to uh, students at my school, um, mostly because like I grew up in an immigrant family. And then um, I know also students who come from low income backgrounds as well. Um, people aren't really taught growing up about like retirement funds or mortgage versus rent or how to start building credit as a college student. So we're trying to, I got a team of students together and we're working on adding like a um, interactive element to our workshop series that we're launching next term. Um, and then other than that, 
Um, next term, I'm also starting my six-month-long co-op um, where I'll be working as an investment banking analyst at a um, local uh, investment bank. Um, and then also, this is one of the more interesting, this is like one of my favorite things I've done this this past few terms. Um, I spend my free time going down to the city courthouse to observe trials of public interest because I don't know, there's something exhilarating about sitting in a courtroom for like four hours, um, just observing um, a trial. And it's like, it's like one of the ways I get to explore my interests as a college student, trying to figure out what I want to do in my career. So those are some of the things I've been doing. I, it's a pretty fascinating array of, I mean, you all do such interesting and variable things. Um, are, is that me? Are you headed to law school? Are you? I, I mean, somebody who spends four hours a day hanging out in a courtroom, it kind of <laughs> sounds like you're headed to law school. I'm finding it's one of the topics that I've been finding fun and interesting. Like, you know, obviously learning is supposed to be fun all the time, but this is something that I'm finding to really capture my interest. So it's definitely a possibility. And, and I am talking to um, different law students and using Drexel's resources to learn as much as I can. Bucky, same question to you. I mean, you're actually calling us from the field, so to speak, which I totally love the fact that you did actually finally get there <laughs> to get to work on your field work for your dissertation. Oh Tell us about your work. That's really hard following uh, the inspiring tale of Shivani going to yeah, yeah. Do you, you know, sit, public do you, spend, do you spend four hours a day sitting in a courtroom in Greece just to practice your Greek and figure out the Greek legal system? No. Okay. Shivani, can you work with Absolutely Bucky a little not. bit and get him a little <laughs> more motivated? <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, but, uh, you know, where do I even uh, begin? Yeah, I'm at that stage of, of late late PhD where uh, you 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 did it. You got through your classes. You survived. You made friends. You you got too busy. You, I want a fellowship, and now I'm kind of living in fellowship land. So after like a couple years of just kind of sitting out, making any you know progress on that that thing, humanities and social science, and I guess all PhDs kind of have this idea about the dissertation and stuff. And after years of kind of just having to sit in place and wait to go get it, not knowing if the world would exist, uh, you know, it's it is a little, it has been crazy this year to kind of uh, be researching and, and be in the field. And I've spent a lot of that time mostly in archives, actually, uh, here in Athens. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the area of Arcadia previously uh, working on an archaeological dig at Mount Lycaon. Uh, and and so I've you know been doing that historian work and, and sifting through a lot of documents uh, about the power company, about the development of their kind of uh, coal energy system in the 20th century, and uh, its kind of transformation into today and the politics uh, that are going on in the country here about uh, wind power and uh, how archaeology kind of fits into that. And aside from from those things, I'm usually editing COVID calls or, I don't know, retweeting uh, your your persistent tweets uh, to, to let the world know or answering uh, some sort of email. But also on top of that, I, you know, I've been rediscovering being a person, I feel like, in the last year after the pandemic, if that makes sense. I know that's kind of like a dark way to put that. But because of that kind of fellowship thing I described, everything was on such, such pause uh, for so long that uh, this coming, finally doing field work, uh, you know, exploring and, and being in a place for a long time that's different has, uh, has reinvigorated my, my human will to power or something like that. Similar to the courtroom, but not as cool. Um, let me stay with you for a second because I want to, I wonder if you can say a little bit more about archaeology. It's actually not a topic that we've covered on, on COVID calls, but um, I, was I guess say, I don't have a, I don't have a good handle on what countries have the biggest archaeology economies, but I guess Greece must be up there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, you know, just to be topical, to tie it into the whole premise of, uh, you know, this, this two-year project we've been doing, 
uh, uh, one of the frustrating things about the pandemic for Greece was that it shut down archaeological sites, especially harshly that first summer. Um, it was really dramatic. And I mean, depending on who you ask and how you count it and so on. So it's somewhere between, you know, 20 to 40, uh, some higher estimates going higher than that. If you rope tourism together with, you know, archaeology and pile it all together, it's, it's you know, a very significant chunk of the economy. Uh, so COVID was hugely impactful for that. And probably, I think, accelerated uh, a lot of the kind of uh, how would you describe this? Uh, this kind of the whittling down of local archaeology departments that has happened over the last kind of 15 years or so in and around the uh, Greek debt crisis, uh, you know, which coincided with the Great Recession. Uh, but in terms of archaeology and the pandemic a little more, you know, I, I think about archaeological knowledge production. And so that's a fancy way of saying, you know, how this kind of raw evidence about the past is kind of made? How is it sorted, categorized, transmitted? What's this greater technical system? And how is it related to other technical systems like energy extraction? Uh, and being somebody who worked on a dig before the pandemic and then seeing how the system works, you need a system of permits. It's this highly regu regularized, nationalized kind of service that manages archaeology. Um, the politics of kind of the temporal pausing of the pandemic were very affected, uh, affected archaeology and that kind of production. And, and because I know so many archaeologists and classicists, I, you know, as friends, really good friends, I saw them in their lives and have come to a halt. Uh, and, you know, the relationship between archaeology and the past and how quick a little fact gets into the, you know, words is not this thing that you can really say is very directly, but it was really interesting to see on a personal and structural and systematic level, kind of that pausing, that temporal gelling or sticking that happened at that long during the pandemic and, and affected that process. Is it right that um, a lot of the archaeology uh, work that's being done is, is grant driven so that, you know, if somebody loses a year in the field or two years in the field, they have the, I mean, some grants get extended, but sometimes funders lose interest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're talking those kind of dynamics. We're talking about the politics of permit renewal on a, you know, a provincial level. There's, you know, these individual ministries that uh, are called efforts that are that kind of manage the local provincial level of, of, you know, what excavations are happening, who can go and whatever. And also, I mean, a, these are huge pandemic risks. You have a bunch of foreign people all planning to show up, uh, often from multiple countries in this one country, uh, you know, in a country that isn't necessarily in, in a, a power position or, or, you know, doesn't have the wealth that always have the most severe kind of restrictions and technological systems for managing the pandemic. They've done quite well, uh, despite a lot of factors. Um, but, with the the grant thing there's also a dynamic of you know this is uh antiquarian operation still in a lot of ways these digs are cobbled together like everything else uh in our kind of economy and and they are these kind of their grants their you know unpaid labor their uh you know not unequal but extractive relationships between locals and, and foreigners, their weird EU programs and subsidies wrapped together. And then a significant portion is also uh, a fundraising from kind of antiquarian enjoyers, people with money or whatever. And, you know, I don't know anything for sure, but a lot of the donors that I've known or met before, they were quite old. So I don't know if people might have died in this pandemic and that might have affected on a structural level, however dark that is. Let me just take a second here to remind folks that you're listening to COVID Calls, and this is the COVID Calls team call, the long-awaited team call with Shivani Patel, Bucky Stanton, and Eleanor Mays.
Um, I'd like to just do a, a round where we talk a little bit about the work that you do on COVID calls. And Bucky, I'm going to start with you since the project started with you. And I still remember where I was standing in my kitchen in Princeton, um, sort of asking you very naive questions about how does a person like do a podcast? And, um, yeah, that was of, not like, the person you should have asked. <laughs> well, you were the person I asked. Like I, and, I got <laughs> into podcasts through this. This is how I got through podcasts. Like I was a curmudgeon for years, like especially with like leftist podcasts. I was like, well, ah, and like these it, idiots. And then you called me and I was like, I'm the podcast king. Ask me the questions. <laughs> like, you were very convincing. <clears throat> but there's also the sort of generational thing, which is like I, I know how to use a microphone. I did I did radio before in college. I did radio, but I'd never I'd never made a podcast. Um, and so you were, of course, as you always are, you were upbeat about the idea. You were really full of uh, enthusiasm that we should do it. And I went back and listened to some of the first ones um, in preparation for this package of 28 episodes that we're doing here over these few days. And um, we tried a lot of different things at the beginning. I don't know if you remember. I mean, we were on Zoom. We were doing webinar. We were fielding questions coming in. I had my son, like, making sure that the chat didn't get out of control. He was sitting next to me. We were doing all kinds of kinds – of, I was encouraging people to email me in the middle of the call. I don't know what that was about. I mean, we're just, <laughs> like, trying everything. And um, and then we settled on this on this format. But maybe you can say a little bit about just kind of what you do on COVID calls. Oh, the, those are great, great memories because they really were the only uh, the only movement in my life at the time. I mean, maybe it's just a grad school thing, but I really felt stuck in uh, just the literal temporal mud of waiting and seeing the pandemic and letting my life fold out. So, I mean, really, COVID calls was a I, I needed it and I still need it in a lot of ways, obviously. Uh, but what I do for COVID calls is I. I sporadically email Shivani and Scott or tweet at them, you know, some insane person that I want to come on COVID calls. Occasionally I come to the, you know, the group wide meetings and say stuff like we should have anti-vaxxers on, uh, you know, just to have the perspective, you know, just always planting little bombs uh, and answering emails with, with, with like five paragraphs, like 700 word essays. Uh, but aside from that, my main job is kind of editing together uh, the episodes uh, and kind of just trying to have a good stream because got to have that content mill going and just working. Um, and so that really looked like learning audio engineering just a little bit, just enough to kind of clear things up, do some EQ, know what I'm doing with the compressor, normalizing, you know, occasionally busting out an echo remover, uh, learning about file sizes, uh, acting to you like I knew anything about, you know, how we should set this thing up. Um, but but yeah, that's pretty that's pretty much what I do. Uh, but I think my favorite part is is listening to all of them. How long does it take you to edit? So, so everybody knows. And so Bucky's describing taking what's a live broadcast of an hour, usually sometimes an hour and 10 minutes, um, hour 15 and then turning that into an edited audio podcast with music and breaks. And that is attentive, as you said, to clicks and pops and things that drop out and tech glitches and all the normal stuff that goes on when you're producing something. Um, so how long does that, does that take you now? And, and what's been the learning curve for you? Mm, mm, that's a great, that's a great question. I do want to say though, in talking about those earlier episodes, I, I have gone back and tried to like fix some of the audio engineering on them. Some of them are just like not even just before I even figured it out, like even just the most basic stuff. Um, and it's it's it makes me cringe. I'm like, oh, are those some of those not cringe on my end first, just because it's like, what were you doing? Like you over compressed this man like this. Why does Noel sound like he's in a barrel? Um, so, so I've had those experiences, but on your end too, like you've gotten better at managing guests. Like we used to have an echo problem, like, you know, like this was, you know, the first like couple months, like we would just have people on, there'd be echoes going on and it maddened me. Uh, but to get to your question, sorry, uh, we, the, the arc, I mean, at first it took a long time. Like I took hours sometimes just because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I would go on YouTube. I would like, 
I would talk to my audio engineering buddies and like they weren't any help because they were just so far ahead of me. I mean, they're like music guys. So, you know, they're just like EQ to them is nothing. It's like the volume button. Uh, it's that simple, but it really took a while before we kind of figured out the machine, as I like to call it, the machinery of COVID calls and how that works. Um, but now it depends, honestly, it used to depend on my knowledge. Now it depends on how much I'm doing on my computer at the time. Um, if that makes sense, cause I'm, I'm working on a laptop and I should do the COVID calls on my desktop when I'm in you know, America, uh, my desktop computer. Um, but I just don't because it's not my, it's not my work screen. You got to keep those two screens separate. You're going to have a good screen and a bad screen. Uh, so this is my bad screen. So that's what I do COVID calls on. Uh, but it takes me probably up between to do it well, to like, make sure I get all the things, uh, the spaces, also the early episodes, there were so many like empty spaces I didn't remove. And I like, I'm like, oh, I should go back and just redo all of them. Uh, but, but to finish up the, the, it takes me probably between 30 and 40 minutes. If I'm doing it really good, if I'm trying to bust a bunch of them out quickly, uh, at the acceptable and sufficient level, like 25 to 35 minutes, depending on the, where it is. That's amazing. Um, and and that arc of the learning is you and I've shared that as you said like and you've as you've listened to every single episode um, <laughs> and then maybe just only a handful of people who've done that um, then uh, you know the rhythms of it and you know what it's been and I have to say I mean in general we've had no problems with guests guests are great but sometimes you know guests show up with different sometimes they're in a room of like did you choose to be in a cave today I mean sometimes it's like they're really <laughs> echoing. Um, and then other times that a guest shows up and it's like, just like yesterday, I had John Gorka. I mean, he's a singer songwriter. He was in a studio, <laughs> you know, so sometimes it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you Shivani feel that people have gotten go better? Do you feel so, that people have gotten yes. better? Because I feel like people in the pandemic have gotten, they've all gotten microphones. They've all gotten yeah. better at choosing the room. Like, uh, you know, if they can, like, I totally feel like the sound yeah. now, I, it used to be, Every episode, I was like, all right, what are they? Where are they? How does it possibly sound like this? And now it's like eight out of 10 guests are just like, I don't even need, I barely need to remove even any noise interference, like any background noise. They're, they all got rigged. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I think everybody pretty well by this point has caught up with the, with the technology. If they choose to, others have said they don't want to. But I think in general that they want to come on a podcast, they they at least have done this enough. The sort of ambient Zoom knowledge is enough now that people know what it takes to sound good. <laughs> Shivani, let me bring you in. Um, and I, I'm sort of telling stories here a little bit, but I remember the email I got from a uh, dear friend, Jaya Mohan, who works in the Honors College at Drexel, who said, um, do you have any work for a, a summer research assistant? And at that time, I had never managed a large team, the research team. And it's not that I didn't want the help of a research assistant. It's just I couldn't process it. I was like, I don't know. I have to like train. Like, how do I do that? Like, it'll be, I don't know what, how, how will this work? And I was still trying to figure out what COVID calls was at that point, but we agreed to work together and you came on for that summer of 2020. And within like three days, I was like, there is no COVID calls without Shivani. It like, it was so <laughs> clear that we, this was a team enterprise. And I thought about it, you know, in that way from then on. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you do on COVID calls? Yes, of course. And yeah, I remember that very clear as day as well. I was a freshman. I had no idea. I, 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 it was like a learning arc for me as well because I came on not really knowing much about podcasts. And now I, I, I've got a good idea working on it with a team of them. Um, but I started off with mostly helping with transcribing the beginning episodes. Um, and then during the summer of 2020, as a part of my summer research program, I also helped to set up um, that for that one week in August, I believe it was like uh, an, a week with like uh, episodes about education, talking to teachers and professors and students and things like that. Um, and then more recently, my after the summer of 2020, my work has kind of phased more so into 
um, just like reaching out to guests, scheduling guests, uh, maintaining the the calendar, and also um, just organizing all the different guest requests I'm getting because um, I get emails from Scott, I get Twitter DMs from Bucky, I get messages on WhatsApp, and before it used to be on just iMessage, um, but in terms of my learning arc, I started off with just doing all of my actions all just organized in my email inbox. And I just have to like go through every inbox and just see like, um, okay, I see a message from Scott here, invite this person, invite that person, invite this person. But now um, more recently I had, well, not recently, like for a year now, I've been uh, using a Excel tracker and just, you know, using that to know what the status of each of my invites are. Um, and then also maintaining and cleaning up a Google Calendar every time there's an update. So that's mostly been the nature of my work with COVID comms. Yeah, and, and I just want to emphasize that um, though you've done basically every, almost every part of it, and you've done program development. I mean, you were a host. Uh, we did these amazing episodes with educators, which we then came back and, and had them back a year later. So it's one of those yeah. great arcs of the within COVID calls, and then. Um, you did so many of these, like, you would sort of contact me and say, hey, what about, um, you know, the issue of air travel or what about the issue of, of education or sports? And quite often, my answer, I think, would be something like, that sounds good. And then you would go off and, and do research on how we would think about a call. And most of those turned into episodes. So I think... Um, you know, your eye for interesting topics and your ability to sort of pull those together into guests. Um, actually, that's quite a lot of work, actually, uh, to find those guests and then to get them on. Um, you're brilliant at that. And I mean, I tell this story a lot about um, about Shivani, which is that you at one point explained to me your philosophy of invitation, which is you invite a guest. By the way, you have a much higher acceptance rate than I do because I stopped doing that at some point because you were just so much better at it than I than I than I am. And um, when somebody says no, your response to them is always, "Well, we'll come back to you soon when you have more time." Some variant of that. It's never. It's a true impro improviser's philosophy. It's it's a yes and we'll talk to you next time. And you've done that with some guests that we didn't land, for example, like Werner Herzog or David Lynch um, or Barack Obama, <laughs> you know, I'm not giving up Tony Fauci. How many times have you written to Tony Fauci? At least five or six times. <laughs> Dr. Fauci, you're going to receive another invitation. I promise you. Um, yeah. it's, it's, but it's, it's really appropriate to COVID times because this has been multiple pandemics. And, so, and we have seen sometimes guests who just don't have time at one time, but they'll express back to you, you know, ask me again. And you do. And you always remember to. I also just love sometimes you've forwarded me some of the rejections. <laughs> Werner Herzog is the best because I can hear his voice. And, the, and I think the line was, Werner Herzog would not like to do the post, <laughs> would not like to do the podcast. Do you remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> I'm not going to do a Pi Herzog impression, although I do a good one. But uh, yeah, that's amazing. Um, let me bring, um, let me bring Eleanor in, uh, and then we'll talk in a minute about episodes that, that you all like. Um, but Eleanor, you came in, in the spring of 2021 when the, when the task had changed and we really had started talking very seriously about making a digital archive. And, um, I think I, I think I really, really, I didn't lie to you, but I didn't understand the scale of it. I don't think that any of us understood the scale of this going in. I mean, not only has the scale of the pandemic changed drastically the whole time we've been working on this, but um, the amount of ideas and, and kind of interesting directions that we've explored taking this podcast and archive in have also exponentially grown since we, we started things. And um, as I keep reminding you, I am fully enjoying myself and that and this process. And so, um, let there be plenty more uh, avenues to pursue. Well, I've gotten better at shooting you down on a few of them. 
what this so we get it into the into the record and into our discussion what what specific things go into the kind of work you're doing right now for COVID calls? Sure. So I kind of took over where Shivani left off with managing the transcription side of things. So um, in case anyone doesn't know, we have kind of the basis of our transcription from our audio is uh, through an artificial intelligence, the Otter AI system, um, where that kind of generates the like bare bones of the of the transcript. But with lots of errors and with the vast array of interesting topics we've had on COVID calls, uh, a great many mistakes in terms of proper nouns and names and places and things. And so um, because we're creating this archive, that really needs to be corrected. And so it's all about uh, sending in a team of transcribers to uh, listen and uh, correct uh, those things in the transcript so that we're making sure we have a accurate historical record going forward. Um, and so I have my little legion of transcribers uh, frantically working to keep up with each new episode. And then uh, there's the processing of those transcripts so that they can both be used uh, on the website as a PDF for people to reference and search through later on, but also as uh, an update to the captions for the YouTube videos that um, we post since the auto-generated captions are pretty uh, lacking. So it's great to take that transcript and both have an updated caption on YouTube videos, but also have this uh, searchable uh, encyclopedia of past episodes on our on our website and on our archive. So you've been, and, and you, you mentioned the, um, the other members of the team who, and we're going to have in a future episode, we're going to have a big team call where everybody who wants to, who's been working on COVID calls, can join, um, you know, really starting um, at various intervals, but really last summer we reached out for people who wanted to to do work on COVID calls with of different types, describing episodes like Alex Genia has done, um, doing transcription cleanup as you're as you're describing. How many people have worked on COVID calls? Oh my gosh, um, I think it's north of like twenty people at this point. It's a lot. People have dipped in and out. Um, there's just so many episodes and so many people who are willing to get into this content and listen and, and um, engage with it that yeah we've had a lot of a lot of people come through and help us uh, update our update our transcript. Let me say a word about Hyuna Kum, who's also a core member of the team, and I actually will, I'm going to have Hyuna on um, with a group of researchers here at KAIST to talk about uh, the pandemic in South Korea tomorrow. But I wanted to make sure that in the context of this call, we did mention Huna, who's been really essential to um, planning programs which are based in South Korea. And she's actually done live translation in a couple of episodes, which is also really, really exciting. And Eleanor, you also developed episodes, just like Bucky and Shivani, you've been really crucial to um, feeding ideas, ideas for guests. And then you were, um, you were host as well. What was that like? Yes, uh, I can't believe it's almost like 180 episodes ago now that I helped host, but that just shows you how many episodes there have been. Um, I last summer I helped host uh, two uh, for Pride Month two uh, podcast episodes on the LGBTQ community and and the pandemic, and so that was really exciting to step onto your side of of the microphone, so to speak, and uh, get to kind of bring awareness to how the pandemic is impacting and continues to impact that community. So um, I've enjoyed times that I've also been, been co-hosting. It's, it's nice, but it doesn't ever feel good to listen to myself back <laughs> on the on the transcription side of things. But I do enjoy uh, the times I've had to, to co-host with you. Quick reminder, you're listening to COVID Calls. I'm talking to Shivani Patel, Eleanor Mays, and Bucky Stanton today. And this is the COVID Calls team, along with Yuna Kum, who I'll be talking with tomorrow. And then the extended team, um, which we will talk with in an upcoming episode. Um, maybe we could do a round, just talk um, for a few moments that we have left here about um, episodes, uh, guests, topics that you found most interesting. I mean, you all are really close to this material. Um, hardest ones to listen to, ones that have stayed with you the most. I'm too close to this. It's, it's an impossible question for me to answer. Um, I will say that there's 
there's ones where I get emotional and they tend to be ones like this <laughs> um, or when I had my dad on or when I had my brothers and sisters on. Um, and so these episodes mean a lot to me, the ones where we're talking to family and close friends and close members of this team. But but I get something out of every call. So it's hard for me. I can't really say ones that are, are more or less favorite because they all teach me something. But I'd like to hear from you about this. And, and Bucky, I want to start with you on this question. Um, I feel very similarly that I'm so close and the torrent of content is so to your credit, Scott, you insane bastard. I, I really like, I don't know how that he did this so much. So they're coming at me so fast and so much and they take, you know, this kind of, I get lost in, in kind of the waves, if you will. Like the, you know, I can tell when we're going through kind of like a dramatic wave or like a, like, oh, Scott needs to talk to some artist phase or like, you know, just like I can, I, I'm just so close to it. But my favorite episodes are the ones that are, I think, closest to you, Scott, because I mean, like, I, I mean, I jokingly call Scott Pater, like, which is ancient Greek and, and you know, for, for father, uh, which is like a deep war cut because Scott is ultimately the one who convinced me uh, that I shouldn't be an ancient historian and that was a bad idea and I should do SDS instead um, or something like it. Uh, so that's a, that's like a deep cut. Uh, I don't think I've ever said that publicly. So I don't think Scott even knows that's the reason I do it. Um, so my favorite ones are the ones that are closest to Scott, um, your family, your friends, the ones that are your friends. Uh, like recently you've been doing a lot of ones where like you end the call with like, I love you. And like, I'm, I get emotional every time. I'm like, I love you guys too. Like, <laughs> I, it's we love you too, Bucky. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's just, you know, just the, those, those yeah. ones. And also I'm at this PhD level where I'm like every expert, I'm like, you're full of shit. Um, if you're not like, an, like if you're an expert, like if you're an activist, I'm like, oh, rock on. You're like Scott's grandma or, you know, stepmother. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Let me listen to this full episode. And then it's like, oh, a historian who knows about the 15th century black, like whatever. Um, that's how my mind goes, which is interesting considering like who I am, what I read and what I say. And you wouldn't think that would be my approach, but because it's you, I, that's how I feel. And in terms of like hardest app, and then Mon most Monica Green, I'm sure is listening. She's a 15th century Black Plague historian, and, and she's going to call <laughs> you out on that. And I know you. I, and know, I know I'm you, kidding. Though. And I know I'm, you love Monica's work because we've talked about it. So Monica, Bucky's yeah. just winding you up. <laughs> I'm totally. I'm full of shit as always though because like i love those episodes too it's just the ones that i I'm, i kind of mean just like the ones that cut through my cortex my frontal cortex and speak to my like emotional lizard brain or whatever well i guess that's not emotional but whatever that's a stupid idea but the and i'll really quickly just like the hardest apps i think are the ones that are either talking about just like the total structural and systematic failure and the impact on just the individual psychosocial complexes of our society and us and just like how it's exacerbated everything those weigh on me i think just because i'm in the field i'm doing research and you know i'm just in that like modernity systems are always breaking people in half kind of headspace a lot and for most uplifting i think it's the ones with people who lost someone really close but seemingly have done so much in reply even if it's just live their lives um or just thrive where they are or start an organization uh because i felt so negative so many times in this pandemic that kind of shit it's really uplifting i took way too much time i'm sorry I'll no, it's Shivani. not too much time i appreciate i appreciate that and um shivani i'd like to hear from you kind of the same question which ones have stuck for you um i think the one that i felt the most joy from watching is this is like personally kind of one of the more uh, difficult things I've done while working with COVID calls is go inviting like the the whole Congress members of Congress invites so my <laughs> most favorite episode would definitely be that half an hour that we got with Senator Bob Casey because he's the senator of Pennsylvania where I live so um it was First of all, a pain in the butt to like, I, I don't mean it like that. I mean, like it just took so much effort. So it was really sweet to 
see the fruit of all those efforts, basically, um, especially with those Congress episodes. Um, so in terms of like my favorite episodes, that would that that the Congress episodes were very like sweet to see as in like it's a fruit of my efforts. But um, one of the questions you had actually emailed to us was about um, sorry, I don't want to take up Eleanor's time, but just really quickly. Um, it was about what do you wish you had seen more of on COVID calls? And I think it would have been cool to um, have things about like how has the pandemic impacted the legal system or um, not just in the United States, but like in different countries, because I know like a lot of Scandinavian countries are like known for their phenomenal justice systems. And I think it would have been cool to touch a little bit more on that. That can still happen, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I did want to mention that. Yeah, and the episodes that you that you did, Shivani. I mean, you had your you had a former teacher of yours oh, yeah. on there. That must have been special. That was very that was very special because um, she was my AP government teacher in high school, and um, I learned a lot from her. So it was really cool to see her on with. You know, it was cool to have multiple role models on one call, including you, Scott. Those were great calls. And yes. and to hear your former teacher praise you in the call as they were also describing how hard it was to be a teacher in the middle of the pandemic was like one of those moments I'll never forget. Oh, yeah. In COVID absolutely. calls. Yeah. I just have to. This is just I've said it before in the record. I'm going to say it again. I asked if Shabani would invite every member of the United States Congress to COVID calls. And she figured out how to do it, and she did it, and it took her two months. And um, and we still have a list of people who never said no, and she still is working that list. And so members of the House and Senate and staffers who are listening, once this archive goes live, you're going to want to join us because um, you'll be able to have a bigger picture of what your, uh, what your boss would be participating in. So we're not giving up on those invitations, but you did. You managed to get Senator Casey to come on. We had Nakima Williams. Um, and other members of the House who actually took the time to come on. Those were amazing calls. Yes. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Eleanor, let me hand it off to you. We're, we've got a couple of minutes left before we wrap up. Um, you've also been immersed in the calls um, in at every level, sort of programming, editing, um, helping other people work through them in the transcripts. Which ones have been important to you? Um, you know, oddly enough, it's not the ones I would have expected coming into it based on my interests and in other things, but um, really the whole series of uh, pandemic influences on Louisiana and Cancer Alley have been the ones that have stuck with me the most. And I don't know if that's because I've chatted with other people in the college with environmental design about um, the impact of uh, existing pollution from the petroleum industry and how that uh, is uh in kind of conflict and crosswinds with the pandemic, but um, but yeah, the the cancer alley episodes have really really stuck with me. I really did not have any idea about that before listening, and um, I keep seeing it come up in all sorts of conversations and ways since since uh, starting here. So um, yeah, those have really stuck with me, um, and I uh, feel so you know, uh, pleased that I've had all this experience and gotten to work with you all on COVID calls. I, um, I'm actually a teaching assistant this semester for uh, upper level undergraduate class that's focused on um, uh, eugenics in California and in Berkeley. And their final project or their semester long project is a podcast. And so a podcast episode. So it's been great to kind of apply all my skills from this end of things to helping uh, these students do research and construct podcast episodes. So it's a lot of transferable skills. I can only imagine what goes on in your mind when a student says, oh, how do you make a podcast episode? And it's like, you're like going back through all of the work that goes into COVID calls. I hope you don't tell them everything all at once. They, it, might, <laughs> it might scare them away. I know they've, uh, I've, I've been feeding them breadcrumbs so they're, they're not <laughs> overwhelmed yet. Right. Well, um, 
we'll I'm really glad we could have this call and we will in the next probably 24 to 36 hours the site I think will probably go live and so in some ways um, you know there have been various plateaus for this project that's going to be a big one and I think new people are going to find this project and what they will not know until they watch this episode is um, that behind every single one of those calls that just looks like a slightly disheveled college professor talking to other experts um, that there's a team of people behind the scenes who are just brilliant and who are dedicated and full of heart full of ideas and uh, I really mean this there is no COVID calls without the team uh, it would just be a ragtag collection of videos out there on the internet and you helped make this something real in terms of the content and the technology and the delivery and the promotions and just your enthusiasm that's kept me going at lots of times when getting up and doing this again seemed hard. There's also the group dynamic, like Bucky needs something to do this afternoon, right? I better get an episode done so he has something to edit. And Shivani has invited all these people. I can't, you know, we've got to keep going. And, and now, Eleanor, in these last months, your dedication to getting the website done is just, I cannot say enough. Um, about how many times you have excused my lateness and been just a source of energy and enthusiasm and excitement about this project. So thanks are not sufficient, but for now they'll have to do until we can all be together in person and have a meal together and, and uh, talk some more. So I care about each of you very much and, and I wanna thank you for all the work you do on COVID calls. It's been thanks. fantastic working for you, Scott. It's been amazing. Yeah, and for the record, like you do pay us, you know, I would do it for free, but you do pay us like, you know, I was signed not up a, to do it for free, not uh, conceptually from the start, but you, you, he does pay us everybody. So, you know, I feel like it's, it's a good deal. It's a good deal. You got to stop being surprised that we want to keep working for you. I don't know. I what know. That was really thinking, Scott. Well, I appreciate it. And I appreciate each of you. And we'll stop there, just reminding folks that you've been listening to COVID Calls. And this is part of the Restoring Memory set of episodes. And this is the COVID Calls team call. And um, just again, Hyuna Kim is missing from this call, but you'll get to hear from her tomorrow on the COVID Calls Korea episode. And I want to thank again, Shivani Patel, Bucky Stanton, and Eleanor Mays for taking time to have this call. Um, and for everything you do. And uh, we will be as usual in contact probably within the next few minutes about something else related to COVID calls. So I'll talk to you all very soon. Thanks everybody, stay healthy and we'll see you next time on COVID calls. Mm -hmm.